This episode of the Telerotor RC Podcast, Monty decides he might want to get a little destructive. I can't wait to take a bottle of acetone and start melting all your things. Our special guest has a little fatherly advice for Shaggy. You know, it's, when, it's amazing how well things work when you follow the direction. Monty starts something up in the house. As I put my tail in rape Oh mode my and, gosh! And spool it up on the bench with tail blades on. Yeah, that would scare me too. And I let Shaggy know just how much he knows about 3D printing. This is the guy that's made half a part so far. <laughs> and then Shaggy just can't quit talking about his stick. Doesn't matter. You flip that, stu- that, that, that stick and boing, there it goes. That's what I was trying to tell him. It's like, do not touch that stick. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Telerotor RC. This is episode 28, titled Bench Tools. This is Robert Monty, and with me I have Michael Shaggy Parker. 3D printing is pretty dank. Rich Sowers. Hey guys, what's up? Mike DiPaolo. And back again as our guest, Dr. Ben Miner. Good evening, everybody. Hey, Ben. Hi, Ben. How are y'all? Good, good. Glad to have you back on. Are you in your car again? No. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in the, the, the official podcast back bedroom where it's somewhat quiet, and I'm sitting next to the router, so hopefully I'm okay. <laughs> Are you doing the toilet <laughs> or the bathroom? No, that's currently occupied by others. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Sitting on the toilet, a full episode of recording is, belongs to the free fall and specifically uh, Freibert. Chris Freibert. Yes. Okay. So uh, first up is uh, cover what we did since last episode. Um, you know, uh, how about, Rich, we go with you first. You want to start with me, huh? Yeah. Well. Uh, all right. Well, that's cool. Um, since last podcast, well, you know, we had talked about, um, hold up. Uh, okay. Here, here, look. here's a pet fever real quick. When you say last podcast, this is something I've always been wanting to say last podcast. It's where we have a podcast last episode of the podcast. Okay. Like I hear everyone say that. And it just like drives me crazy. Okay. <laughs> I'm done. Well, then make sure you say it a lot, Rich, over and over. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Um, and the let's see, I don't remember where I was from the last episode um, of the podcast, but let's see, the last couple of weeks I've been working on the Diablo. You know, I ordered a new tail servo. We went to, um, you guys were helping me with a tail wag at uh, Chill Out. And um, we had gone, you know, Ben, you'd help me, and you guys have been working through the mechanics of it, and we decided that there weren't any real problems there. And um, we adjusted the gyro, and then finally it was determined that um, I should try a different servo. So I ordered a Futaba servo and got that in finally. Um, by the way, the best deal I got on that servo was from my local hobby shop, so you guys might want to check with your local hobby shops sometimes. Um, but he ordered it in for me. I got it in last week, got it installed. Went out and test hovered the helicopter, and guess what? 
It explodes. No, that was it was definitely the problem. Um, you know, Ben, we can talk about it a little bit later, I guess, but you know, you, we were trying to get the gain high. Um, the wag was gone, the overshoot was gone. Um, I had that gain up to a hundred. Um and I actually yesterday had it up to one eighteen, but about one ten it was getting really funky. It was making some noises and that's about right. That that that's that's where mine starts to get fussy. Yeah, and that that's in a hover, and it was really fussy when the wind, uh, the wind yesterday was blowing probably five to ten with gusts a little bit more than that maybe, and um, it was at our back, and every time I was tail in, I could hear it talking. Well, that's fine. You don't need it. I, that it's more performing more than adequately like that. That's doing exactly what it should do. Yeah, it was just noisy. It wasn't bobbing or moving around or anything. Maybe a little bit of a wobble directly into the wind, but um, otherwise it was pretty rock stable. Um, we got to get to, I, I lowered the gain down to about 70 for fast forward flight and aerobatics. Um, we want to play with that some more, I guess, but I didn't really, I lowered it down and we just flew it and, uh, had a good time with it. I didn't really mess with tuning it any more than that yesterday. Um, you know, cause I had said it, whatever you had left it at for me for, um, for forward flight and aerobatics in, uh, um, mode two or in the, uh, second condition. Um, I left everything the way it was and just flew it. It was a little sensitive to me, a little more than I usually do, uh, or that I like, but I was getting used to it. Well, um, I tune all that in as the season progresses. Yeah. I just glad yeah. the tail. I'm just glad the tail rotor's working for you. I, I take it very seriously when I recommend somebody specifically spend money on something to try to solve a problem. I don't like, I don't like having to do that unless I know it's going to fix it. So I'm glad it turned out for. Well, it did. It fixed it. I liked it. It's um, I'm happy. I, so I was telling Mike last night, or not Mike. I'm sorry. I don't know why I keep doing that. So Monty last night, um, that I think I'm just going to fly it for a few weeks until we can get together and and just kind of get used to what's there, and then I'll know when we change things what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm really liking it. That thing was hauling butt yesterday. And, uh, and I mean, even at low head speed, I mean, it was, we flew it around mostly at 1500 yesterday and then, um, started playing with it at 18 tw- or 1850 was as high as head speed as I've got on it right now. Um, and it was, it was fun. Nice. Um, but, um, so got that accomplished. Oh, decided that I'm going to get my charge case done. So I was putting together some, uh, HP 1200 FP power supplies for that. Just some soldering, changing over to some RC Pro Plus connectors and doing a bunch of soldering to make, you know, charge leads and that kind of thing. So it's been a little bit busy. I've been, I got the uh, second Diablo all torn down, uh, and the parts ordered for that, the ones that, cause, you know, I hit the floor when I knocked the other one off, took the, those parts off of the second Diablo to get the first one flying. So those are all on order. Um, but other than that, man, that's, that's pretty much what I've been up to. All right. So Ben, how did your week go? <laughs> Uh, it went just fine. I'm clearing the bench off for a new model and got out yesterday, flew some, working on some low-altitude inverted orientations. And this past week, Robert, what what was it? Last Sunday? What did we, when did we? Or Saturday. That was, that was Saturday, Saturday uh, weekend before last. Um not February, yeah. not uh, 10 days ago, effectively. February 22nd. 
Yeah, we've been working with I was working with Robert to try to excise the demons from his Diablo, which as of yesterday I think we successfully did. Yep. Upstairs yeah, everybody's happiness. It's finally working like it's supposed <laughs> to. Uh, yeah, he's not so grumpy today. Well, a smooth model is a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> by, by, by every stretch of the imagination but I'll uh, one I got rid of one model to re- make room for a new one and that one's coming in right, right now it's being test flown by US Customs so <laughs> oh good <laughs> it, it'll, it'll show up when it shows up from, Germ- from Germany <laughs> but I was looking forward to the weather breaking yesterday was pretty nice so we got more good days ahead of us yeah yeah, it was nice yesterday. Cool. Uh, I guess I'll go, and then we'll get Shaggy going. Um, yeah, it's been it's been mentioned. Uh, you know, I I went down to his place. We uh we went on a, a a bit of a journey to find the gremlins and excise them from the model. Got moving forward on that. Did some good work down there. Learned some more things. Um, that's kind of the impetus for I would say the topic on this episode because i know we've we've visited before and we're going to visit it some more um yeah i got out and flew yesterday and uh had a great time you know uh, <laughs> it's a little it's a little uh, what's the word i don't enjoy being depressed with the models down and out and i'm you know it directly affects my my attitude but yeah it's better to have it to, it's better to have it flying and knowing knowing it's working it's flying well yeah All right uh yeah, uh, when Ben and I went to the field, I got to fly his models. Uh, thank you, Ben, for letting me do that. You're welcome. I figured you needed it. Didn't yeah. <laughs> uh, mm. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun uh, flying the uh, Diablo 550 and then the Diablo UL. Um, it was a lot of fun. Those models are, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Despite their size, they they're very alike, and then there's slight differences, uh, just just based upon just the the you know weight difference in the model and the disc loading and such. But no, those are fun models. Ben keeps them in great shape. Um, past that, I've been collecting up little parts, and then um, you know to to the to the item of a local hobby shop, you know. Uh, Checking with uh, my local hobby shop here in the state of Virginia, only find helis on uh, batteries. So, working out some working out some thoughts for batteries for the 2020 season. I know yesterday I was outside, and my batteries were telling me they were cold. Um, even <laughs> though it was, you know, had sun on my back, but it was, you know, every bit of like 45 on the field. But yeah, it's just cold for old mm-hmm. batteries. I think two of my batteries are three years old, and one of them's two years old. So, yeah, I've got the same issue. Yeah. Urcha hasn't officially announced it yet, but by the time this show is published, it'll probably be officially announced. Uh, I I did win the win the nomination for member at large. Surprise, surprise! How much did it cost hey. for you? To, how much did it cost you? Uh, well, I wasn't able to give out you know executive level cabinet positions, but I, I'm going to end up in a position more often than I like. Little <laughs> little, little Robert Bloomberg. <laughs> 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 so it's going to cost him some friends before this is all over with. Oh yeah, yeah. People that are like close to Rob, as in us, uh, are probably going to hate him after Urcha because we are going to be voluntold to do so many things. It was bad last year. It's going to be terrible this year. 
Uh, just that's all right. Congratulations, Monty. That's awesome. Thank you, Rich. Yeah, that's great. That's I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. I know you've been working hard to get there. So uh, it's, I, wasn't any, I wasn't anybody anymore deserving. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Talking with the guys a bit, um, getting moving on some stuff over there, but no, it's really it. That's really it for what I've done. Shaggy. Well, uh, in breaking news, I am finishing up my n- a letter to the uh, FAA. I've uh, literally waited to the last day. I know people are going to hate me for that, but hey, I'm doing it. So I I think I finished it up. I think I've got this huge long paragraph, but I think I officially finished it, and I am about to su- uh, submit it in a few minutes. So, yep, uh, basically good. this day of recording is the final day for the... Um, for the uh, FAA proposed rule of uh, remote ID for all model aircrafts and everything. Uh, so I am getting mine out. This is the last day. Uh, I actually, so like a couple weeks ago, I looked up, looked it up, and it said over 12,000 comments. I looked earlier today, it's over 33,000. Yeah. It really jumped in the past couple weeks. Yeah. So I'm not sure what it is now because this was like back at noon in the day, and right now it's you know it's 7:30. So it's uh, gone up another 10,000. It's at 45,468 oh comments. Oh, so they finally looked because it had been it sat at the same number I think for I looked at it yesterday and then I looked at it this morning and it hadn't moved. So it must not be real time update or something. But that's agree, not, uh, yeah, agree. It was it was 34,000 around noon today. Yeah. So it, yeah. Well, I know. Like, um, I I did a post a little while ago. Mike Petty, um, you know, he's of uh, full scale fame. He did a post up specifically saying, "Hey guys, get out and help support you." I know a lot of you guys fly model airplanes. Let's go support these guys. And he worked out a deal with Horizon to give away five model airplanes. Wow. Um, if you you had yeah, to do your post, had to take a picture of it and send it to him. And then you're going to go in a drawing for five model airplanes. Yeah, that's cool. That's great that they're doing that. I didn't even know. So, that and that's, he's a full scale. Yeah, he's, he's, if you haven't seen his YouTube channel, go take a look and subscribe. It's awesome. Um, he builds full scale model. I mean, full scale models, full scale airplanes. Um, he's really big in the, in the full scale stuff. That's and awesome. His, the stuff he does is incredible. That's awesome. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. Yeah. So, yeah, that. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get, you know, too much into this because we kind of, you know, it's, you know, it's then don't. well, but I'm just saying I'm kind of feeling a little bit better, I guess, with it, because now we've got so much more comments there. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't guarantee it's going to make a change, but it just shows that people are really putting their time to the, the, the reply, the comment on this. You know, just to say, hey, you know, can't do that. Change it. Hmm. So, OK. Um, one other thing I want to say is I just want to apologize for the last episode. Uh, I screwed up the timing. If you've listened to the last episode, I screwed up the timing where the transition track from, uh, the main topic was shifted over because I was trying, I was in a rush trying to get the episode out and I completely, I put the intro track without spacing the, uh, the other track. So I apologize for that. That was a big whoops. And I, Feel bad for that. Another thing, uh, I sold my Goblin 500. That's been a big debate for the uh, for the longest time since it exploded. <laughs> uh, well, the thing is, I still have that helicopter. I still have the exploded one. 
I sold the one that I bought as a backup to get it going again. Uh, so I sold that, and so between that, two Hobbywing 130s and a Hobbywing 120 paid for my two Contronic ESCs. That's good. They were used ESCs, and it took that much to make up for it. Uh, as you know, once again, uh, like like Rob mentioned about supporting our local hobby store, uh, I made an order for Oxy Two parts from Only Fine Helis uh, about last week because uh, I got a another Oxy Two from a friend of ours, Cliff. Uh, so it's new to me, but it's a uh, not killed in combat. Here, I don't want this piece of shit heli. <laughs> so I got that Oxy Two, uh, another Oxy Two. I'm working on getting it fixed up. And uh, I did go to Rob's house this past weekend, and uh, we worked on his Diablo just a little bit, and then we worked on my E7 with the Contronic Cosmic 160 in there, and we finally got the telemetry to work. So all I got to do is do the the Gov store, and now I now I can fly it again, start practicing for for competition. Uh, so thank you so much, Rob, for 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 that day of just helping me out with it. It was a lot of fun. You're welcome. And we didn't blow it up. No, I wasn't gonna blow it up. No, like Ben was. Ben was like, "Do not do this, or you will have to send it back." No, no. The only thing I said was, "You don't interrupt it when it's updating." It's not. That's just. Well, guess what? We didn't. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, and it works. You know, it's, yeah. when, it's amazing how well things work when you follow the direction. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and that that was that was so that whole day that Friday evening just wor- working with Rob on that was was just fun and learned so much new things about the the cosmic the the features that the cosmic has and uh, I'm really excited for this ESC the you know just trying it out uh, I'm pretty sure it's just gonna work yeah it was a it was a fun night we also uh, yeah. prank, oh yeah we also prank called Freefall and left some recordings for them we'll see if they got the uh, cojones to put it out. Oh yeah. <laughs> by by the time this is out, it'll be a, a yes or a no decision. But yeah, that, <laughs> that was fun. So basically, after uh, we're we done, don't have to go into that. Don't ruin. Oh, that no, no, one. no, 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 no. I'm just saying, like we, you know, we we started. Uh, uh, I I brought up this. Um, I I pulled up the sim and I started flying, and then we he started. Rob started playing some music, and I actually started doing like Ethereans type stuff with it, and coming up with some really unique uh, methods, and it actually was kind of fun. And then things got stupid. <laughs> and basically playing Van Helen eruption, uh, Van Helen eruption, and things just got crazy. And I was like, "Hold up, pause that song." I go to the you know real flight, the settings there, uh, yaw rate. Let's max it out at 1080 degrees a second. <laughs> and I'm pure flipping, and it is so hard to keep up. <laughs> and then things get crazier with that with prank calls. Yep. So. Overall, that was uh, that that was a fun night. And lastly, beginning of yesterday and continuing today, I am finally 3D printing. So this is now another 3D printing podcast. The hell it is! You shut your dirty mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who says the only 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 one that doesn't have a 3D printer yet? Uh, don't worry, I got. Th- but has 3D printed parts. I, I do have yes. 3D printed parts amongst amongst my three friends who have a 3D printer. One of yes. them actually <laughs> helps me with parts. Well, make that two because, you know, a local one. Uh, because once I, <laughs> once I figure that, this out more, I'll be, I'll be making stuff for you. This is the guy that's made half a part so far. <laughs> Wait, what? He's talking about you. 
Hey, 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 I got a perfectly assembled Fatala uh, receiver mount right now. Right now. And one's printing right now. Good. It's fun, isn't it? It's extremely fun. Oh, I can't God, wait to use the so... Fusion 360 to start, you know, designing things. I can't wait to take a bottle of acetone and start melting all your things. Yes, because as soon as he starts uh, using Fusion, it, other things will be melting. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, let's move <laughs> this along. Yeah. Um, Screw you, Heliheads. It's all about 3D printing these days. <sighs> Jesus. <laughs> So, RC Heli news and Heli event coverage. No Heli events this time, just news. Uh, Contronic has a trade-up program going on. Uh, recycle your old Cosmic now and get a 25% discount on a new cool Cosmic 250 HV. Uh, that looks like they're running this up through the middle of this month. Uh, and um, they're doing it in person, and also it's available in the U.S. So, that's a pretty cool deal. And to be clear, because it's not stated, that one you trade in does not have to be functional. You can send them a bricked, dead, burned out one, or, you know, if something's been damaged or something, they will still accept it and give you your, your trade-in value. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um. So they won't... What's that? Oh, never mind. Go ahead. I say, will they take my uh, burned-up castle? <laughs> You'll take it. They'll sell you a new Contronic USC. Your choice. Oh, <laughs> uh, Rob, let me uh, mm. let me add to as of the time that this is being yep um, recorded. I'm I'm now in a position to start accepting uh, motors, Contronic motors, for service work, service work in the United States. And oh man, that's awesome! And man. limited speed control stuff and warranty stuff on them all. If there's warranty claims to be done, I can handle that as well. Yeah. I saw, um, I saw you've been on the forums. I saw one guy ask today is like, does he send you the ESC even though you can't unbrick it for him? Yeah, it's a good question. The way we're handling this uh, to avoid anybody wasting time and shipping expense by having something come to me, at which case I say I can't unbrick it. I, there's going to be, if it's not there already, uh, an RMA form on the Contronic website that you fill out and you email it to repair.usa at contronic.com. And I'll put a note on, the, uh, on Helifree, for example, with that contact information. But that will allow me to see what's going on and figure out whether... I can do something about it or whether the customer just needs to send it, send it straight to Germany. Cause I don't want frustration there from guys sending me stuff. And I, you know, I want to filter all of those kinds of potential repairs to make sure it goes to the right place the first time. Right. Awesome. Occasionally, yeah, occasionally I can, something is getting starting to act funny, but it hasn't gone silent. I even bricked and I can salvage it sometimes without even having to have it be sent in. Uh, so we're, we're doing it that way. And it all, you know, I can also tell people expenses involved with non-warranty repairs and things like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. That's awesome. It's, it's repair.usa at contronic.com. Yeah. I'll, I check e that email a couple times a day. And if anybody has questions or something that needs to come in, just email me and I'll tend to it. 
Awesome. Mm, cool. Um, lastly here, uh, I wanted to take a moment to pay respects to the passing of Andy Kane. Um, you know, uh, I think, yeah. I know Ben and I definitely know Andy Kane. Uh, I know him. Yeah. And Shaggy knows. I'm not sure if Rich has met Andy, but. Mm, yeah. I never, I don't know that I ever met him. Um, sounds like he was a great guy, but oh, yeah. I, I never met him. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. For, for helicopter guys. If you're in Virginia, you likely met Andy Kane. If you did yeah. anything with turbines and you were getting your waiver, you definitely were going to meet Andy Kane. Um, <laughs> yes. As, as he's mm. one of the signatories for that. Um, no, I, I had, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. It was uh, it was fun. A couple of years ago, I went to a fun fly that Andy was at, and he, he approached me and said, hey, I got another fun fly going on. You want to come out and fly with us? I was like, yeah. So I actually got to go out to, um, uh, what is it, uh the flying circus and uh oh, okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah out in bealton and go fly there with them and that was a lot of fun uh andy was great to hang out with on the field and stories and you know just learning from andy as well i, I talked to him about you know some club stuff and learning things from him so that's a uh, you know it's it sad news to find out his untimely passing it really is i was i was very uh stunned when i found out that was uh that was a few days before the new year's before the new year started, not sure when the passing was. Twenty like eighth of December, around that range, because I remember I found out on the first. Okay, left a big boy that's not going to easily be filled by anybody. Sure has. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I remember the last event I saw him. It was the end of summer, uh, end of summer bash, and you know in Fredericksburg, and you know, he's out there, you know, having fun. He was flying this thrust vectoring jet and just doing crazy, crazy tricks with it. You know, just getting, you know, a few feet off the ground, just hovering this thing. And, and, uh, yeah, and just, you know, looks perfectly fine. You know, he, you know, he seems healthy and everything. And so it's just, it's just weird. I mean, that was a few months ago, but it, it just seems weird. Like, you know, he's perfectly fine and happy and having fun going out to these events and doing what he's doing his thing. And then next thing you know, he's, not around. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's sad. He's sad about his passing. Um, you know, as I get older, I, I start to realize uh, life is a lot more delicate than 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 you know you initially realize. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, anyone else have any news? None mm, that I can think of. I got a question for Ben. What's that? So you can serve as the motor. So that means when next time someone runs a pyro and catches it on fire and crashes in the cornfield and lights the whole cornfield on fire, can you service it? I can get parts for pretty much everything, but I hope that <laughs> that, that what that what people send me will mostly just need bearings and or shaft, and I will I will tell people these are really nice motors and frankly what i'm going to say applies to any brand of motor you send them in or service them before they start screeching or worse yet the bearings go so bad that the uh, rotor starts dragging on the stator because that more or less lunches the motor completely these things honest to goodness will last a lifetime. There's nothing really that goes bad in a brushless motor 
other than uh, bearings and if it takes a shaft out with it. So send stuff in to be fixed before it gets messy. I had one come in last month uh, that was it it had the the stator had actually started to 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 nick on the rotor. There was a chip on the magnet. I had to custom balance it to get it smooth again because of internal damage. Don't wait that long to do it. Work on your motors before they need it. Bearings go bad routinely. You need to pull them out before they tell you they need to come out because by that time, they're already started to probably tear up the shaft. So, agree. I know many times, Ben, the telltale sign, uh, just bench, just, just you want a model sitting on the bench, you just grab the can and check for, check for play. Yeah, free play. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, just check for free play on the can with a model sitting on the bench. And if you feel free play, yeah, it's probably time for your motor to get some new bearings. And depending upon how mean you've been, you may need a new shaft. <laughs> so what would cause the play? <laughs> the um, the bearings itself starting to separate? They just get worn. It, it's just that they, they, the, the bearing itself literally wears. The, the lubricant in it goes, ah, goes yeah. out over time and the bearing... Or in worst case scenario, literally the shaft is wobbling around on the inside diameter of the bearing. That that's the the extreme. Yeah, and it slowly just takes material off the bearings, and then you just get some play. Yep, and then then it really starts the the once it starts skidding like that, it the whole process accelerates. Oh yeah. Yeah, and to be clear, Shaggy, it doesn't it doesn't take material off the bearing. The shaft is the bearing is taking material off the shaft. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you like point. turning it that it's like turning it down on a lathe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just very slowly. Yep. Very dull bit. Um yeah, no. If you're wondering if your motor needs service, check for play on the can. If you find play on the can, start talking to uh Start talking to folks or grabbing bearings and, and finding out what you need to, you know, for work on your motor. And if it's a Contronic motor, reach out the email address we just said and make contact with, with uh, Ben and get your motor serviced. Okay. Monty's ba- uh, bugging me to get mine serviced now. Well, well I, I know I serviced it before I sold it to you. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I just delivered my I just delivered my 450 kV motor oh, to cool. uh, to Cliff mm-hmm. yesterday, um, and yeah, I'm now running a 520 kV Pyro 700. So I'm getting in those high head speeds, 1950. <laughs> <laughs> like I said before, Turek, watch out, screaming. Now, if you want to see the scariest thing, just watch Shaggy as as I put my tail and rate oh mode my and, gosh and spool it up on the bench with tail blades on <laughs> yeah that would scare me too yes yeah I, I'm, I'm and i'm just like the whole time like do not touch that rudder do not touch that rudder stick oh he had it in rate mode and trim flat it was doesn't like, matter you flip that stu- that 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 stick and doing there it goes well don't that's why you don't hit the stick that's what i was trying to tell him it's like do not touch that stick <laughs> <laughs> oh God! I made all of these rec- I made all those recommendations from the safety of my own home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, he was telling me he was telling me last night about it. And I was in the safety of my own home, you know, going, "Oh shit!" Yeah. If you've ever held tried to held on to the tail boom and actually moved the tail rotor of a seven hundred, uh, nope, you ain't had it. There's a lot of force there. No, I. 
if if someone is really hearing this and thinking of doing it because you need to check for something, uh, strap it down. You, you 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 no, not about strapping it down. You're just gonna if if you don't get your tail centered and put it in rate mode, you're gonna create a mess. And then um, further, a lot of times I will go so far as to place the heli on the floor with the boom between the table legs. So if it does try and go left or right, it's got a, a limited or limited range to go. It won't, you know, pirouette all the way around and try and hit me. Um, yeah, you had it between a printer and a block. Yeah, you, you might want to explain why you were doing it. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, and actually, you know what? This might be a good lead into our topic, actually. Yeah, it, um, this, this is a good lead in the main topic. So let's go ahead and let's get in the main topic. <laughs> let's get this started. Yeah, your trials and tribulations of this, of trying to get this figured out, led to the topic. And, and you went through some stuff. I did. Um, so. I'll, I'll say first. Let's give. I'll give a quick upfront about the main topic. The, this is a uh, episode on bench tools. Um, a lot of these tools are here uh, because uh, when your model acts silly in the air and you need to answer questions, uh, you need to ask, answer questions about what's tweaked. These tools will aid in answering those questions, um, so you don't have to employ the scorched earth policy of replacing all the rotating parts in your model. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this test is one of those tests to try and see, you know, what we were just talking about as a test to try and see what may be going on on the model. Uh, I know in times past, I've taken different sets of tail blades and checked at what RPM, um, you know, in, in times in the past when I've done this test, I've, I've, I've employed this test to check and see if I had tail blades out of balance without taking a model apart of the field. Um, Specifically, I took the main blades off and, and put the put the boom between the legs of a table and uh, take control of my throttle uh, more in like a stick mode and then see what RPM the model reaches before the tail starts to make vibration uh, sounds. And you go through and I checked like three or four sets of tail blades and you find that um, not every not every set of tail blades is is created equal. Um, even even in the same manufacturer size range, you know, some some are a bit further out on the quality control and allowed, and some are really tight. And so, I ran, I'd run the t uh, RPMs up full blast all the way to a hundred and see what RPM they start making dumb noises at, and go, okay, that set started vibrating at two thousand, another set would start vibrating at twenty one hundred, and another set would. You know, another set to get all the way to 22, and you go, that 2200 set, that's a good set. <laughs> the others are like, those are good backups. Um, but yeah, that would be a reason why you'd run the tail up is you're checking for balance. You're checking a balance of all the rotating parts. Um, what do you learn by, well, what do you learn by doing that versus just putting on a balancer? Putting the entire rotating assembly on a balancer and balancing. So the big reason... Uh, why I did that on the models because I was at the field and I didn't have a balancer nearby and I, I wanted to answer a question without going home because that that issue specifically you would pop up at different RPMs and you'd, you'd start to go okay because a lot of times you know and and I don't think we've actually talked about this topic before Ben about how to balance 
a tail, how to do a static balance of a tail hub. This may be a good episode to add it in, or it may not be. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I think it's. A, I think it'd be. I think it'll work right into what we're talking about. I think so too. Um, but yeah, specifically to end that story, um, I'm just checking for overall balance on the model of the tail, and that's what allows me to do it is to see, you know, what RPM does this thing start making, you know, vibration noises. Right, because I know why you did it this time. Uh, you know, yeah. On this particular episode, I mean, I know what you were doing. Yeah, I just, you know, troubleshooting, trying to work it out of vibration. Um, you got to work it out and you got to have a test that will that'll give it to you. Um, so another point to, to the starting of the main topic here is um, a lot of these tools, you don't have to run out to the internet and, and or your local uh, tool shop and buy the biggest, biggest, newest, shiniest thing. Um you know, Ben pointed out to me, and I went trolling through Craigslist. A lot of these tools are on Craigslist. A lot of these, a lot of these items are on, on Craigslist because they're not necessarily RC items in this in this episode. Yeah, yeah. The deal with Craigslist is you you figure, you make up your wish list of tools you need, and you start looking for them before you you never. It's tough to ever find anything secondhand exactly when you absolutely have to have it you have to catch it yep. when it comes up so i literally check the tool section of craigslist almost every single night not because i'm right now i'm looking for anything sometimes some really nice stuff comes up for really good prices you can catch it save yourself a lot of money yep yeah definitely i do the same thing i'll start watching for something that's how I, I got my planer. Um, that's how I got my uh, surface sander, several things like that. Just keeping my eyes out for tools and those things popped up. Yeah, I, I know. Um, it, it, it's almost, it's almost, it's over a decade ago. My father passed. He had a large, a large amount of woodworking tools, you know, planers, uh, planers, lathes and band saws and, and jigsaws and, and radial, radial saws and, Oh yeah, no, that was a uh, <laughs> that was a nice treasure a tre- treasure chest of tools that uh, got sold at that point. So yeah, yeah. um, so uh, you know, first item I'm going to put in here that we just add uh, is is actually an RC tool is uh, it's usually sold as a prop balancer. Um, the one that you commonly see on there is the Dubro pop prop balancer. Uh, mm-hmm. It I've is got a- one of those. Yes. Yeah, I have one. Uh, <laughs> I think all four of us here right now actually own one. Probably. I've got several. Yeah. There's three of us. Um, mm. No, oh, Ben's shit. here with us. Never mind. <laughs> God. I'm being stupid. <laughs> you know, we can get Psycho Stick back out and that I can count to four songs, Shaggy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are you talking <laughs> about the ABC one? No. Oh. It's 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 a parody of uh, let the bodies hit the floor. It's I can oh, count to, gosh, I can count no. to four, but uh, no. to keep going, um, keep going. The Dubro prop balancer, uh, really useful for doing static balance of rotating parts. Um, you know, uh, for example, uh, when building a tail hub, uh, I'll go ahead. Uh, you know, you can take a fully built tail hub, you know, off your helicopter and use the Dubro prop balancer. It will it will hold your tail hub just like you, just like how you bolt it to um, 
the tail output shaft. And then uh, the way I like to explain it is I'll check um, the four cardinal directions, you know, uh, north, south, east, west, and make sure that when I put the, the tail hub in that orientation, that it stays that orientation and doesn't drop to a heavy side mm -hmm. um, to show me that, uh, you know, how it is assembled means that it has a heavy side to it. Um, and when you start finding the heavy side, if you're, if you're doing a fully built tail with tail blades, you could, you know, pop the tail blades off and see if it changes, pop the tail, tail blade bolts that hold the, those, those tail blades, you can pop those off or on and check and see how that changes it. And you can just start to see, you know, uh, what is affecting the balance of your tail. Um, a lot of times, the closer you get to ten thousand RPMs on a tail, the more the balance will matter. If you're if you're if you like to overspeed your model, it matters. You know you're going to take it over ten thousand RPMs. You like overspeeding, balance will will help it. You know, help keep your tail together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and another thing I do, Monty, is I'll also lightly spin it and make sure it stops in a different spot every time. By lightly spin it, I mean just lightly spin it, but. Yeah. Let it roll on the wheels and it should come up in a different spot, never never the same place every time. Just like a tire. Agree. I'll I'll let Ben talk this one a, a little yeah. bit as I know Ben and I have talked about doing that with motor cans, just to check balance mm -hmm. on motor cans. And that one's a little bit easier because you got a three hundred sixty degree service surface and you can right. mark down where it continuously stops at and get, you know, mm -hmm. a mark. As opposed to our, ta our, our like like a a tail hub, a fully assembled tail hub. It's nowhere mm -hmm. much to <laughs> mark it. No, but you know which you know which side it is. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you can mark a, a one side of it and then see where it stops and make sure it stops the same place every time. Yeah, agree. But um, I mean, we're not talking about spinning it here. We're talking about just getting it to go around a couple of times and see where it stops. Yeah. Um, no, I think this is a good point where Ben may be able to tell us where. Yep. <laughs> no, well, the first thing with the Dubur balancer you have to understand is that the limiting factor on the accuracy of that device is the collets that go inside the whatever you're choosing to balance. Right. So when you use those things, you really need to put <clears throat> a black Sharpie mark or even a, a file score out towards the very outer edge of it. On, the, on both of the collets so that they're always indexed together in the same place mm -hmm. because they're, they're unlikely to be that perfectly machined. So you, if you put index marks on them, you can always orient things the same way in your parts you're balancing. And then, more importantly, if you think you've got things the way you want it, you move the index mark 90 or 180 degrees apart and make sure nothing changes Jeez. because the the collet set that I actually use with mine was actually one that came with the original concept of that balancer called the high point balancer. They were made 20, over t easily 20 years ago because they're way better. The ones I've got are way better than the Dubro ones. The Dubro ones are okay. But you really need to index those collets so that you get repeatability of results. Or else you're not balancing your part. You're kind of balancing the some degree of eccentricity in those collets. Hmm. So that makes sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Okay. 
So the the deal with tail rotor hubs are that trying to get them that that anybody can kind of balance a tail rotor hub in the horizontal direction because you just uh, or the whole assembly for that matter because you can add weight, for example, thin shim washers under the drag bolt of the uh, the blade grip. Things get a little more interesting when you are assessing the balance of the hub in the vertical direction, and you have to balance the hub. And you, it, it's it's best to balance the hub first before you do anything involving the blades. And you want to also do it with no grease in the tail the uh, thrust races because that affects things. And you've got to take up any in play in the grips as well by using a little thin piece of dental floss at the root of the the blade grip so that the the grip's not moving in and out and causing your balance because the 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 uh, weight of a little dental floss is negligible or sewing thread whatever you choose to use to just keep the grip out. But anyway, you've got to balance the tail hub. In the vertical orientation first, because about the only way you can manipulate that balance is by, and then this depends a lot on the design of the, of the helicopter about how much you can do about it, but about the only way you can mess with it is to do something under one of the ball links that's hooked up to the pitch arm of each blade grip, because you've got to the, the the weight you're looking to apply is not on the is not along the the uh, axis of the tail rotor assembly. It's offset. Right. So I, I've tweaked balance that way by stacking washers up underneath uh, the backside of one of the balls that was on a tail rotor grips pitch arm. I've run a on models that had a bolt-on ball, that is to say, a ball that a bolt went through the ball and was captured on the backside with a nut. I've run longer bolts through balls to get it. Any any way to 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 offset the, the tendency of the grip of the, excuse me the uh, tail rotor assembly to fall off to one side when it's in the vertical direction. Some models, there's not a lot you can do about that have like H-links or things like that because there's really no place to add or subtract any weight. And those, you just have to pray that in the vertical orientation, the tail rotor hub, hub's balance is pretty good. But you got to do that first before you balance it in the horizontal orientation because whatever you did in the vertical orientation also adds weight to one side, which, of course, affects the balance in the horizontal. So when you get the hub in the horizontal orientation, you 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 apply shim washers. Sometimes you can manipulate the uh, fiddle around with uh, the nylon the nylon uh, nut that holds the drag bolt. Anything like that you can mess around with to get it to sit still in the horizontal direction. So you get it vertically as best you can, and then you get it horizontally. And at that point, put the tail blades on, get them feathered. You just can't willy-nilly put them in the grips. They've got to be feathered out because it matters. And you see what happens when you put the tail blades on. Uh, now, Ben, what do you mean by feathered? You want them basically so that the grip will, will sit still 
it, the, the blade, what I mean is there's no lead lag. You basically are zeroing out the lead oh, lag. Okay. So you, you, you put enough tension on the drag bolt so the, you can kind of gradually move the, the, uh, the tail rotor blade uh, lead or lag until it will sit without the grip trying to flop to one side. That makes sense? I got you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you do that. And then you look at the, how the balance of the whole assembly looks on the balancer. And what you got to remember about tail rotor blades are companies will match them to within whatever their chosen tolerance is, or the blade manufacturer will, will match them to whatever the tolerance is asked for by the, uh, the vendor. You know, any of the others, they say, okay, we want tail blades that are within X fraction of a gram. What they don't match necessarily is the spanwise center of gravity. So you can absolutely have two tail rotor blades that weigh exactly the same, but they will not balance on the tail rotor assembly because the centers of gravity are off. And hmm. that's where you can get fooled. And you can end up with a tail rotor vibration and you can't figure out where it's coming from because the blades were quote unquote balanced. Well, not exactly. So the only way that you can truly match a set of tail rotor blades that way, if you really want them spot on, is with a Cole Rotor Pro, because that will take into account differences in uh, the spanwise yes. center of gravity of the blade. Yeah. I will tell you, though, that in the interest of people's heads not exploding about how detailed this can get, if you put the tail rotor blades on a balanced tail rotor hub, and one side drops a little bit, you're going to get pretty damn close to, to being pretty damn good by a small piece of tape on whichever blade is necessary or, or right. high to get them spot on. You know, doing it on the rotor flow is, is that extra thing that create an incredibly smooth tail. But it's, it's, an extra, well, it's an extra amount of effort, and not everybody has a... Yeah, not too many people have them anymore. <laughs> Well, uh, miniature aircraft is in business and making them again and sells them. They absolutely yeah. are. You can get yeah. one. It's an incredibly, it's worth every penny. There is no device on the market without any exception that will do what a Rotor Pro will do for both main and tail blades. There's nothing else on the market. Wait, they're available again? Oh, hell yeah. It, they are available again. It is not a $30, $30 tool. It is oh, $100. No, no they're yeah. $100. Yeah. <laughs> but based off of what I saw you do with yours, Rob, it's worth it. I, it will quickly answer questions about where the CG is at on your rotor blades. And you can get a, mm -hmm. you know, once you start marking it down, you'll get a visceral understanding of just just how smooth that rotor blade set's probably going to sound in the air, whether it's tails or mains. And um, yeah, you can start to understand that, like, like I, I have a set of, of uh, Curtis Youngblood blades that um, Ben sold me that he's put on a cold rotor pro. And if I ever have a question, I throw those blades on. If I still have the, if I still have the problem, it ain't blades. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I forgot to, I forgot to say this when we were starting this for, for the listeners is that this first grouping of tools we consider to be, um, I don't want to say the word beginner, but this is, this is the, this is the stuff that these are the kind of tools that are worth having around even, even if you're new in the hobby, 
to to collect this up. Um, I'll be honest. I brought my I bought my Dubro uh, balancer for RC car tires. That's why that's mm-hmm. why I bought it. Um, I could I could add weight on and I could add weight or a little bit of glue actually uh, on the beads of the, the tires so I could make sure my tires weren't crazy out of balance and it wouldn't destroy bearings as quick. Um, and it would leave the, it would make the suspension smoother for racing. <laughs> um, did a great job at that. Um, come to find out works well with helicopters as well. I, I think I've put a prop in it once. <laughs> Next item is a quality workbench, a good table. Um, some items I have down here about it is something you can clamp things on, something you can bolt things to, something heavy. Um, definitely one of those things where checking Craigslist is worth it. And I put down butcher block styles. Um, Ben, you may know some other terms for styles for search that guys can look around on, on Craigslist or other used marketplaces. That that's a good term, but it's basically, it's, it's not like a plywood top. It's, it's uh, sometimes companies will actually take cross-cut blocks of wood and, and laminate it and glue it all together. Uh, but it's the bottom line is it heavy and hard, flat. <laughs> heavy, hard, and flat. And a little tidbit about the, the uh, workbench stuff, too. You said Craigslist. Workbenches are always uh, coming up for sale on Craigslist. The ones that I got from my shop, uh, I actually got them new, but then they were made by Gladiator Garage Works. They're incredibly nice. But the little tidbit with that is that twice a year at Lowe's, and actually they sell them direct too, they go on sale by about 30%. So it, it, you, look at the, you look at the short game and you look at the long game when you're looking to outfit your shop and you get stuff, time it with time of the year when you need stuff. Uh, but a workbench, if you, if every time you touch the model, the whole workbench is going shimmy, shimmy, wiggle, wiggle, you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to, it's just not a stable surface. It needs to be heavy and it needs to be flat and it needs to be stable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I know uh, driving Ben insane. I'm I'm on a folding table like you'd see at a flying field, and when it comes <laughs> to like running the Soko tool, the time. it's 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 uh yes, you, it's a pain in the butt. It's yeah. I mean, lucky uh, luckily I'm on concrete downstairs in my house. Um, I'm not on a wood floor, so that helps. But no, a heavy table, especially considering some of the tools we'll, we'll mention, uh, when we mention following this is you're going to have to set some of these tools down somewhere, clamp them somewhere, bolt them somewhere. And you need a heavy workbench is a good item. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just looking around on Lowe's right now, they won't even let me see the price. They're saying to put it in the cart and they'll deliver it in the middle of the month at $300 for a gladiator workbench. Worth every penny. Yeah, your your workbench. I'm surprised they're they're used, Ben. They look brand new. No, they no no no. They they were brand new. Yeah. But, but I timed them like I told you. Okay. When I bought the time of the year. Yeah. Now, 
on a more affordable case, really you can do a um like a mine. I mean, I have I actually have several. One of them was this big old table. I mean, this sucker has to be at least five or six hundred pounds. It's freaking huge. It was get it was actually being get uh, thrown away from a uh, thrift store. They were getting rid of it. It was stored outside, and so it's like this solid wood. And of course, the legs are industrial as well. But it's solid wood, uh, plywood inside, and then it's wrapped with like uh, press board. So the press board buckled, and then I just put a sheet of, and then I just put a sheet of plywood on top of that and screwed well, it down. That's all fine. Yeah. That one's strong. So that's that's one of them. That's my main table. And then also in my workshed I'm working on, I have uh old countertop. Uh it's not granite, but it's it's that um it is pressed press board, but it's uh it, it's um laminate for Michael laminate. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um and that's actually extremely strong as well. And then another one I have that I just made is uh three quarter inch plywood. And now that stuff, I, I actually, it was being thrown away and I was able to grab that. And it's, um, but you, even at Lowe's, like if you go out there and buy it brand new, three quarter inch plywood is expensive, but it's like, it's like, so, so it's like 38, 38 to $40 for a, uh, uh, four by eight sheet. But, and then you sand it down real nice and, you know, nice and smooth. And then you put some legs on there. You can probably get away with maybe 60 70 bucks versus like 300 but you know again probably what you have been or or way better quality but on a budget yeah but the goal here is not to that i don't want to make anybody feel bad that you got to go buy it that's not the way it is the the important thing is heavy stable and flat and if you accomplish that with craigslist do whatever. It's fine. This is not a, a, a this is not a, a, a challenge to go try to see how what how expensive a workbench you can buy. The one the reason right. I happen to have mentioned those ones is that they are quite nice, almost to the point of being dag on their furniture grade. Something mm-hmm. that you yeah. would be perfectly fine in the center island of your kitchen. But I've flat I looked on Craigslist a couple nights ago. I think there were a half a dozen workbenches on there. Any one of them would have been just fine. And for less, hundred bucks or lesser. Yeah, I know. I've got one made from an old desk that's got it's got a big thick t- top on it. It's heavy, and it's got a. I put a glass top on it, and then I've got another one that has a countertop like like what you're talking about, Shaggy. That sucker's really heavy. It's built on three quarter inch plywood boxes. Um, that one I would not call flat, and uh, I solder and stuff on that one. Yeah. And then I've got another one that's made from a solid core door. Oh, yeah. It's heavy and it's almost, it's built very much like a um, torque, you know, torque box. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's pretty flat. I haven't milled it flat. Um, I don't know that I would build a wing perfectly on it. I would probably use my glass top table for that, but um, it's pretty flat and they're all heavy. All that stuff is just fine. Yeah, I, I I didn't get my dream shop so to speak until a year and a half ago. I built every bit as good a model as I build now for twenty years on a on a workbench I built myself out of some stuff that was left over at the house I'm living in, and then I did some other stuff to it myself with a yeah. particle mm-hmm. board top. Mm-hmm. But it was flat. It was and it was heavy. <laughs> 
and it worked mm-hmm. fine. And I think I spent about $25. So. Yeah. Well, one advantage of particle board top two is it's replaceable. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You, you get it and it's flat too, because it's, pre, it's pressure. Yeah. <clears throat> it's made under pressure. pressure. Yep. And Lord knows you can't get water on it, but yep. if it gets dinged up, you throw it away and buy and screw down a new one and get right back to it. Right. Yeah. It's heavy as a brick too. Yeah, there's there's many there's definitely many different ways, but <laughs> there are a ton. Yeah, I, I no point point is heavy something heavy and flat and sturdy. Uh, folding tables, folding tables. You know, I've done it, but uh, and some of these tools that we'll talk about later. I've had to find when I do certain things and heli builds. I got to wander in other areas of my house to get to get things to work on because I I can't you know level my frames on this. Um, I, I can't put, you know, I don't use my Arbor press on top of my folding table. <laughs> <laughs> you don't? It would end up on the floor. Oh, come on. You want to break your toes? Uh, yeah. Toes, floor, plastic, sliding, <laughs> you know, all the above. Um, yeah. that in, in the sliding table. So like the next device, the next item is a table vice. I, I can't clamp a table vice, a big one of, of any note to my plastic table, which, mm-hmm. <laughs> A quality workbench, yeah. yeah, you can. Um, really, uh, just listing this tool, uh, it's interesting. I know, like uh, Ben and I doing some doing some testing. Uh, you know, clamp things between table vice and you know run a motor up. You can just see a motor all by itself. Just just what it sounds like at various RPMs, or you know what it does. And you know, table vice is a perfect item to test a motor uh, outside of a model. Um. <laughs> The um, the other thing I'd say is I know as I was, as I was doing the Dubro, some of those items are a little heavy for the Dubro, and so it's nice to be able to put them mm-hmm. on a table, or perhaps you you know clamp the base of a pro, you know balancer in your table vise. You know the yeah something I've I've got also in that same kind of vein is I've got and Ben you may remember these there used to be a balancer you could buy back in the day. It was very much like a Duber balancer, but much heavier duty, red bases. But it came with a really long shaft that was milled for different head sizes on each side. Um, I have one of those, and I, I've used that on a glass tabletop before where I've put the head on. The weight of the shaft holds the head, and you can just it'll roll on the glass, and you can balance it on the glass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it'll, it'll roll on the glass top. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I remember <clears throat> a friend of mine had one of those, and we he ended up actually balancing the uh, it the one we had had a counter had, had a counterweight on it too, and we balanced that to make sure that that wasn't skewing the results because it was a big e- big hunk of aluminum hanging off. The yeah, it's a big heavy shaft. Oh it's yeah. Like, I mean, it's. Because the whole idea was to balance the entire rotating head exactly. with blades yep. if you yep. wanted to. And, you know, that was when, that was back in the fly bar days and stuff. You know, I mean, we're talking 20, 25 years ago uh, when I bought that thing. But I've still got it. So I have to send a picture to us, Rich. Yeah, I can send you a picture. It's just a shaft with each end milled down. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but it's so that it fits different size heads. But Interesting. Yeah, I can send you a picture. Uh, I've even still got one of the balancers, I think. Next tool we've actually we've mentioned before is the Arbor Press. Uh, one ton mm-hmm. is preferred. Uh, a half ton is not always quite enough. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a half ton. 
And it's it's there's times where I'm just hanging on the edge, like just budge. That's when I get the blowtorch out and heat it up first. <laughs> Some items are delicate and can't be using a blowtorch on like yeah. like like that. Um, the little Harbor Freight Arbor Press. What's what is it? It's not. It was, it was so they they make a a, they make a half ton and a ton. The ha- uh, half ton is forty dollars. The ton I think is either fifty or sixty. Yeah, central machinery. The one ton arbor press is sixty bucks. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, but it's it comes the metal and stuff is really rough on it. You need to file stuff down again. Yeah, yeah, it is. But I mean, it you know it it works. It it works. It does. I use it all the time. Oh yeah, I actually got two of them. I actually uh, just got a second one. Someone gave it to me not too long ago, so that's gonna. I'll have one in the uh, basement and one out in the workshed. So that Mm -hmm. means I got a one ton press. I will. I will say, <laughs> if you're if you're using if you buy that one ton press, it's worth spending some time with it to get to get the. Uh, I don't know what you. It's not the. Sh, it's not the shaft, but it's the main block ram that goes up and something? down. I don't know what you the call ram, it. The ram. The ram. Yeah. Yeah. Call it a ram. To get that lined up so that it runs smooth, but it's also running straight. Yeah. Clean up. Clean up the. Uh, clean up the. Uh, the little gear there as well, and just. Well, it's not about cleaning up the gear. It's it, 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 you'll notice it if you go and put something like a, a bearing block down on it, and you watch as it comes down. You'll watch as you lower it slowly. You'll notice that it's not coming down perfectly straight. So, right, it'll touch one side. It'll first. touch one yeah, side first, yeah, yeah. and it's got a couple bolts on it that'll help guide the the ram around, so you can get it to be eyeball it straighter. Um, it's not the most accurate or accurate arbor press in the world, but um, with a little bit of ingenuity and know how. Uh, You'll you'll get it right. <laughs> um, what else is there? That runs us. I don't know. That runs us into uh, the next item. Is I'm going to go first with the machinist stone. Um, I've seen this mentioned before, and Ben actually dragged one out and threw it on top of his workbench. <laughs> Therefore, machi- making my heavy workbench ri- really heavy. Yes. <laughs> I would not use this on a plastic table, folding table. Uh, it's a quick way to crunch it. Um, the machine is stone. It's useful for building a model properly. <laughs> uh, it is It is flat. A machine stone is flat. And so you can flatten your frames on it. You can check, you know, shafts on it. Machine of stone is nice. Um I uh, as part of the as part of the show in the show notes, I will go ahead and put a link to MSC Direct and um, a, a Machinist Stone, uh, just to give you an example. You can shop around, you can buy that one, but uh, Machinist Stones are nice. It's good for checking things like as your are your frames flat as they're assembled. Um, do you have bent or tweaked parts? Um, it, it's nice for doing that. Also, it's, it's you know you can put it on your workbench, you can put it away. If you don't have one, um, I did find uh, useful in my own house was my glass top stove. Um, granted, I, I ran up to it in the middle of the day and and checked it, you know, used it, uh, cleaned up, you know, cleaned up everything on it and used it. Anyone who owns a glass top stove knows they they stain easily and things burn on them easily. So that will mess with your readings. So clean your stove up and you can use it real quick. But it's not somewhere I'm going to build a model. 
<laughs> the other useful thing for the stone is it's it's always your reference. So you build your model on it and get the frame squared up so everything sits nice and flat. And then if you have any kind of a mishap, you pull the landing gear off the model and you set it back up on the stone. And if the frames have a rock to them, you've got stuff bent or tweaked. Mm, tweaked, you've shifted. Bearing, you've yeah. Shifted, bent, tweaked, bearing blocks, what have you. But it's telling you that the, the model you have is not the model you, you started off with after whatever your mishap was. So it's, a, it's not only a building tool, it's also a diagnostic tool. We use that on Rob's model when we were chasing down some vibration stuff uh, to make sure his frames were sitting square. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because, yeah, in, in building, in a, you know, we loosened up all the bolts and then we, we tightened up uh, bearing blocks in, in, in a cross pattern and i would check after like every bearing block every you know, like four bolts tighten down on a bearing block check and see if there's any rock and then if if rock is introduced go start in, and go start working that part um you know ben one of the uh would be unintended benefits of actually going through and, and properly uh getting you know accurate with how level my frames were was uh, my battery tray sliding easier <laughs> so, <laughs> i'm happy yeah, that is, is, is this tight of precision and quality of the model you have any kind of a sliding tray like that if anything's the slightest bit off it's going to bind up because it it's kind of it's assumed that everything is going to be right to slide they what I'm saying is they didn't engineer any any wiggle room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, my battery tray sliding easier now. It's it's not quite the uh, orchestra. To, it wasn't hard before, but yeah, it, it definitely that yeah, definitely helped. Cool. Yeah. Um, the next item on here is a drill press. Uh, I don't own one yeah. yet. I've got a couple actually. <laughs> um, and that actually, uh, well, I don't know, Ben Rich. I, well, Ben, I know you have one. Rich, what do you, do you have one? Yeah, I've got a floor model. I don't remember what the size is, but it's a, oh, it's floor, a floor. Floor model. Big. It's a big floor one. Floor model. It's big. Yeah, it's a big one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's a big one. Let me, let me run this through real quick. Um, you're looking for something nine inches or larger. Uh, if you're buying used, uh, check the drill for play. Uh, run the handle halfway down and check uh, check that it's you know check how much play is in that uh, in that fitting uh, or or in the, the shaft. shaft in the cap. Yeah, the checks are the important, real important part. Um, I, I the one thing I have is is you you can be used to unseat uh, bearings. Um, I figure there's some other uses here. Uh, Rich Shaggy Ben, you could tell me about on the drill press. I mean, I used to use mine all the time for seating and unseating bearings. You know, just I had this little metal plate that I had made with a little, you know, had a friend of mine weld on the end of a shaft and we squared it up and I'd put it in there. I'd use it to press bearings in and then to press them out, I would use a socket against that same plate, but I would, I have some different um, pieces. I still use these. I've got some wood that I've cut different size holes in that I can lay the plate or whatever I'm trying to press the bearing out of. I set that down on that piece of wood and then I'll use 
now I use a, a, a press, but at the time I could use my drill press to do it, is I would just push the bearing out and the bearing would fall out into the cup that I've drilled into the wood. Um, not a soft wood, you want a hard wood for this. Um, but, you know, you could use pine, but I wouldn't. I would use something harder than that. Maple. I think mine are made out of oak, maple. Or oak. Yeah, I think mine are made out of oak, and they work awesome. Uh, they catch the bearing and give you enough room to press the bearing out. Um, but I used to, I mean, the drill press worked fine for doing small bearings. It's not a press. You know, you're not adding a ton of of pressure behind it, but it worked fine on pushing most model bearings in and out. Um, I think one time I even pressed a bearing, a, uh, a auto-rotation bearing out with it. Oh. Um I don't remember for sure. Don't quote me on that one. I might not have done it with that. <laughs> but it, you can put quite a bit of force on it. And it certainly works with, you know, small bearings that you've got for main shafts yep. and stuff like that and bearing plates and stuff. It works even, great for Even that. for motors. Mm. Yeah, I've never done it with a motor. I've used all press on every time I've used a motor. But well, no, no, I'm, I'm saying for like, um, uh, is it balancing or is it for, what did what the... What did RCHO use, RCHN use it for? Dang RCHN God. used it to uh, determine the actual KV of motors. That's right. Yeah, because yeah. the rotation rate of the drill press was was uh, known. It was set. The RPM of that was set, so then he could measure. He could measure what was going on in the motor, and it could actually determine the KV. Hmm. Hey, that's something else. When you're buying a used. Uh, drill press, check the belt, make sure it's not dry rotted and crap, or just oh, understand yeah. you may have to replace it. Yeah. Um, Ben, any other uses for a drill press? Yeah, drilling holes square. Yes. <laughs> Important. <laughs> <laughs> the number one reason to have a real drill press. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, now, also, you talked about the size and everything. Uh, I actually have two different sizes. One is a, basically a full full blown it's it full blown like you know larger size drill press now it was one from harbor freight uh it, it's not a table it's not a floor model it, it's 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 bolted onto a table uh but it's it's like your standard you know like quarter horsepower uh drill press and you know that i use that for obviously for for you know bigger stuff if i need to really be, make some holes or something uh, but also there's this one and I've been lucky with some of these tools that I have. Uh, this was, this one was given to me. It's called, it's called a Microlux drill press. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's almost yeah. like a jeweler's drill press kind of. Yes. Kind of like. It's very small. And I will say, I love this thing for like just doing very small holes that are just very precise. And I also have the X and Y table attachment to it. So I can like clamp it on and then just do very precise exact measurement holes. Uh, or anything like that. The only problem about it is the drill press is two hundred dollars. The X and Y axis uh, table attachment is one hundred and twenty. Yeah, the one I have on my drill press is like three hundred. Oh, yes, yeah, so you got. But that's the bigger one. This one, this one's the tiny little tabletop. You know. So yeah, it's a, but I mean, it's if you like that for the precision of that. But. Yeah, but uh, it, it's you know, Microlux. They make some really good products, and they're very well engineered, but they are very expensive. Yeah. Um. So Ben, you mentioned you mentioned drilling holes. Of course, drilling holes accurately with it. I guess another thought that comes to my mind is with an adjustable stop, you could use it to measure the height of shafts or other things. Could you not? What do you mean height? Height of what? What do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean by height? 
So in like looking at a tail hub to understand the distance from center, if it has an adjustable stop, you could you could mount a tail hub up on on the table and then you know uh, yeah, lower it down and adju- and, no, that's not, not accurate, accurate enough. enough for that. Okay. No, that 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 kind of thing you've got to you've got to, that that's either V blocks or a lathe chuck and a dial indicator. Okay. When you're doing right. that kind I, of I typically use stops on a on a drill press just for pitability in wood, not metal. Yeah. Or metal that doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like I'm drilling holes in a piece of aluminum or something to mount on my trailer or something. You know, something doesn't matter, but I want the whole spaced equally. Yeah. I wouldn't call it precision. The main thing is it it drills a whole square and it keeps the Particularly if you've got a drill set to to start to uh to start your hole a hole, it keeps the drill from wandering off of center because everything's held rigid and you get way more pressure on the drill bit with a drill press than you could ever hope to put do but with a the hand drill. Yeah. Another thing I've used mine for is sanding. Um, with a sanding drum in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that reminds me. That's been that's been decades since I've used a little sanding drum and a drill press. Yeah, I put them in there. It's nice for right rounding out corners and stuff. I've done it with carbon fiber, and I've mostly done it for wood. But yeah, the drill press is a tool that once you have one, you kind of go, "Oh, that's what I should have been using all <laughs> this stuff." <laughs> yeah, it is the most used tool I have in my garage as far as power tools go. That. Yeah, it probably is the most used tool I've got out there. That's a power, you know, a big power floor tool. Uh, huh. I believe it because I use it all the time. I don't. I, I rarely, if I can fit it in the drill press, I drill with the drill press. I rarely will use my hand drill. Um, I mean, I've got a bunch of bits set up. I just grab it, put a bit in, and go. And it's yeah, and I know the hole's straight, so I'm not going to get candid. You know, I mean, I, I I use it all the time. Nice. Yeah, because I, I know in years past I've had to drill holes and synergy booms and mm-hmm. and then I've had to file them, move them around a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me with a drill press and some V blocks, I could probably probably would have drilled much more accurate holes. Yeah, that's probably yeah that probably means your tail order gearboxes wouldn't have been off by ten degrees consistently. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, thank you, Ben. <laughs> Um, so what else with the drill press? I think that, I mean, sanding drum, yeah, uh, light, light duty pressing and then drilling holes that are worth a damn. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely a tool. That's, that's one tool I wouldn't give up. Yeah. Um, yeah. once you've had one. Yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, I, I know, uh, thinking about, you know, building the Diablo, I, I, uh, I, I made my own servo horns and, you know, having something repeatable, I could just quickly set down the tables, centered up and just went for instead of a hand. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's you'll drill them kind of crooked and then you notice as you're tightening it down, it's kind of, the final tighten is what straightens it up. And you're like, um, okay. <laughs> yeah, I've got a little tabletop, like a, it uses like a little Dremel motor. Yeah. That I use for doing really small stuff, like the, you know, like horns and plastic pieces stuff when i know i want that whole straight yeah but yeah they're they're very useful so let's see so is that all we got on the drill press guys that's that's on the beginner group now we're going into an intermediate group of uh items um actually one more thing to add on the beginner group actually real quick 
is a uh, a, de- a disc sander. Yeah, I have I have a sander. I use it frequently. Yeah, I I've got a little disc sander. Uh, it's also a Microlux one. It was you know again a lot of micro. I got a lot of stuff for free from my uncle that gave it to me. But uh, are you talking about a bench top sander? Or are you talking about like a hand sander? No, it's it, it's a bench disc sander. Sander. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I've got one of those, which and you can get those at Hard Freight as well. Uh, you know, it's a little four inch disc sander. And I, mm-hmm. and I usually use that for, you know, especially like small carbon parts and just trying to slowly mm-hmm. get the edges off. Just, just, just let, I mean, you could do it with your hand or you can just like, if you want to shape it a little better, I'll use that. Cause I've, I've made, um, you know, I've made, I made a uh, servo horn, uh, um, horn kind of like the synergy servo horns. I've made those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I've made stiff frame stiffeners, uh, and all that stuff out of just broken pieces of carbon mm-hmm. fiber frames. And I'll just shape it with that little disc sander. And also another one is a little yeah. tiny um, tabletop grinder that you can, you know, another one mm-hmm. that I got at her for a little tiny mini one for, for small stuff like that as well. It's like a $30 little grinder. Yeah. I've got a desktop, I mean a bench top sander that's a, both a belt and a disc and oh, cool, I use yeah. it for all kinds of stuff. Uh, but I typically use the belt side more than the disc side because the disc side tends to grab parts and it, tear it does and it, throw them and stuff like that. It so. was yeah because if you're trying to do like the whole like the whole disc, then yes. But yeah, so th- those are some other small things that are uh, you know that they're helpful, not necessarily need, but they're helpful, and they're very inexpensive. Yeah, they are. Now the intermediate group. Hey, Ben, let's go ahead and start um, and talk about the dial indicator. Um, this is one of the fav- my favorite tools okay. in my shop, um, and there's a lot of uses for it. There's bad ways to use it, good ways to use it. Some of us know that we're not, you know, like, for instance, I'll give you an example, a main shaft and a set of bearings. Um, bearings are not super accurate, um, so spinning a main shaft and a set of bearings is not the best way probably to check it. But it certainly gives you an idea, right? Yeah, I mean it. It'll tell you if it's bent or not. But when you're trying to figure out whether to trash a part or not, you really gotta. Mm-hmm. It's a dial indicator plus V blocks or a really high accuracy lathe chuck. A, a V block, for people that don't know, is basically just a a piece of hard steel that has a precisioned machine v in it and it cradles around shaft and you basically put your your v block on your whatever your surface is and you with your fingertips you just rotate the shaft in the v with a little bit of down pressure and you indicate the that whichever end of the shaft you need to look at because mm-hmm. v blocks completely take take the the issue of bearings which is inherent slopping the bearing off the table right so that you make sure what right. you're dialing is actually the part right you know i with respect to dial indicators you they they're mandatory if you're checking run out in fan hubs run out in clutches uh i mean if you're really on a vibration hunt things like run out in main rotor uh hubs tail rotor hubs um, mm-hmm. that's what you need because as a rule of thumb kind of or general guideline if it's a rotating part like a tail rotor hub or main rotor hub 
if it particularly tail rotor hubs if it's out more than like a thousandth of an inch it's going to cause a problem because mm-hmm. other parts on the system are not perfect too and what starts to happen is you get stacking of error so we you know when when something's not running smoothly we either we dial it to check and see if it was damaged in a crash or we dial it to make sure that it something didn't slip through the quality control. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get a dial indicator, you, you really want to get one with a half a thou graduation because personally, when I, when I was flying nitro and I was dialing clutches and, and fan hubs, definitely I would never run anything that had more than a thousandth of an inch of run out in it. And personally, on my own stuff, there's a guideline I wouldn't run anything over a thousandth, but on my own stuff, I wouldn't tolerate anything over half a thou. Hmm. Uh, because perfect is, the closer to perfect you are, the the better it is. And if I could get, some, the, the bottom line, what it came down to, if I could dial something a little less than a thousandth, if I could spend another 20 minutes and get it less than half a thousand, and occasionally get it absolutely perfect. But if you're dialing down, if you want to be below a thousandth of an inch, you don't want to be kind of guesstimating between uh, the zero and the one. You want something that's got a, a halfway increment on there so that you really know what you know oh, how close you are. Yeah. Uh, I think mine, I don't think mine's half that. I think mine only goes to a thousandth. I'd have to look at it again. But It's okay. You can do it, but you, you, you're you guesstimating. Uh, in, in the, What ends up happening is they, we're speak, We're talking about kind of like the resolution of the instrument, and if you're mm-hmm. looking to to really dial something to a thou or better, you want to have the resolution of the instrument and the in the 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 uh, the graduations smaller than kind of what you're looking to achieve. So you right. know, if you if you're only worried about plus or minus five thou, having thousandth increments makes no big deal. But if I'm trying to dial a fan down to a half a thou or better, then I kind of want something that's got that I can tell what I've got. That's my right. personal preference. It doesn't mean anything wrong with doing it with a thousandth indicator, but you you you'll you'll you won't get quite so frustrated taking readings on one that's got a little bit that that's got more graduations. That that because I've got both. I have one that I bought that was half thou and one that was given to me that that's only thou and i always use a half thou one i'll make my little kind of plug here for there are times to buy tools from harbor freight presses uh things you don't use super often some kinds of hand tools I get a little touchier about precision measuring devices like calipers and dial indicators. Mm-hmm. You can buy one for $20 and get what you pay for. So if, if there was ever a time to buy a Starrett or a Mitutoyo, however you pronounce that company, one of those quality instruments, these probably the time it would be a good idea to do it because doesn't really do any good to spend an hour trying to dial something to a fraction of a thousandth of an inch if your your instrument is lying to you by a thousandth of an inch. 
right or or worse yet it not repeatable that that's where precision measuring devices or crappy ones will let you down it's not that they're quote wrong it's that you measure one time and some it'll measure x some thousandth and you do it again it, you will drive yourself insane yeah i had a and i bought one of the harbor freight um oh what do you call calipers and I could never get zero the same time. Oh yeah, you could you, whatever you wanted it to read. Yeah, whatever you wanted to read. If you need it to be a little more, a little less, just keep taking measurements because it's going to give you what you want sooner or later. Right. You just <laughs> press the little. I mean, zero. You press together, boom, it would be zero. Next time you do it, it'll be one. Oh like, yeah. What no, the hell? That, that case in point. Dial indicators are exactly the same way. You know, if, if yeah, you don't these days with models we have these days, we rarely have to dial indicate thing in the old days. You know, every fan mm-hmm. that came, came with a helicopter, you had to dial the fan in the clutch. But yeah. there are still models out there that it is a good idea to put a, a dial in the camera. You know, Synergies put a, even though Matt's stuff is really good, still helps to check mm-hmm. the fan and it still helps to check the clutch when it's bolted to the fan. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between a helicopter that's when it's in hover, at, you know, sitting in hover at, you know, 1900 RPM, the fuel is just sitting there. And another model where, why does it have the little froth on the edges of the tank? Well, guess what? One got dialed and one didn't. A little froth? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I'll tell you what I noticed, too. I, I bought, obviously, I bought, I've got about several other calipers since then. It wasn't that much more expensive to buy a pre-calibrated more or quality or higher quality level caliper than the one you get at Harbor Freight. I think they were like 35 or 40 bucks. And the ones I bought and they were their their caliber they've come with a calibration sheet. Um, yeah. I, mean, I don't it, know if that means a lot, but It's it's not like we're talking okay, $20 and to get a quality instrument you got to spend 300. You can. It's not yeah. like that. It it's just that you got to spend a bit more, but it's a lifetime investment. It's a lifetime instrument. You buy it mm-hmm. once and it lasts you forever. Yeah. Unless you drop it. <laughs> I remember the old, you know, before you always see those stickers, whoever has the most toys when he dies wins. But I've also seen the one that says whoever has most tools when he dies wins. Um, most accurate tools wins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Luckily I've gotten, I've gotten gifted to me a very nice set of calipers, but they're only in inches. Um, well, the dial's <laughs> only in inches. <laughs> it has millimeter graduation marks. That's fine. Just do the math. Mm-hmm. You can math it. Uh, ben, what do you think? Is it got anything more on dial indicators? Or you think we touched it? No, I think we got it. It's one of those instruments that these days you 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 don't need very often. But man, it will explain some stuff really quickly if stuff's not running smoothly and you can't figure out why. The dial indicator will tell you. And for nitro guys, uh, yeah, these days most fan hubs and stuff are pretty much self-aligning. But if if the hub you've got has any kind of a pinching setup on it where it's tightened down, you screw it on and then you snug it down with the pinching. That's where the error occurs, and that's where, you know, you put a dial indicator on it, and it 
dials too thou and you loosen up the bolts, jiggle things around a little bit and re-snug it. And, oh, now it's a thousandth out. Well, if you, I'll flat out 100% guarantee you a fan that's running out too thou, a model, that model will not be as smooth as the one that's a thousandth. And the only way you know is with a dial indicator. So it's useful to have one. You can get away with a lot these days on helicopters and, and without having something vibrating. But you can tell the models that are really running smooth by looking at tips of fins and what the fuel tank's doing and the edges of the canopy. And the dial indicator is the way you kind of get that separates those models. So it's a worthwhile investment. You don't need it a ton, but it's certainly not a waste of money to have one. All right. So, uh, Monty, you got anything you want to add about the dial indicators or, or V-blocks? No. That's a, it's an area where I need to buy some of the, some of the stuff we have in the beginner area, and uh, then I'll probably start getting more into the intermediate area. <laughs> First, start off with a table. And some lights. Oh, lights. You don't have lights on this list, but they're freaking important. Yeah, they are, Rob. Yeah, I, I, I... You need more than that lamp. Yeah. <laughs> well, to the uh, 25, 24-year-old boomer, shut the hell up. Um, to the rest of you all, okay, I'm working on it. Hey, I may not know technology, but I know lights. I tell you, I love, I love my... I've got magnifying you know, LED lights, and I, I got two sets of them on my bench that so I can move around. Yeah. I... I, I love them. Sixty five hundred K and up. Sixty five hundred Kelvin. Don't go with that freaking forty eight hundred Kelvin. Nope. I was just gonna start picking up light bulbs dropped off in you know weird areas in industrial places. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know how Ben feels. I like daylight balanced bulbs in my shop. Uh, a couple of reasons. One is, um, when I'm working with anything color painting, anything like that, I get an exact color. If you're using an off daylight bulb, you will not have the true color of whatever you're looking at. It's just like looking at, you know, paint under fluorescent light at Lowe's. It's not going to be the same color on your wall when you get home where you are got incandescent bulbs that are all yellow, right? And then when you open the window, the sun comes in, it's all another di- different color. Um, I just prefer daylight balanced What bulbs. Kelvin is that? 5,000. It's 5. Yeah, the only problem with that, it, it can be kind of, over time, it can be a little bit sometimes harsh and fatiguing. I, I've got... It can. My, my overhead lights are in the, I think, are, are in the fours. And then really? I've got mm-hmm. uh, warm, warm, warm white under, under my under bench lighting, and it balances things mm-hmm. out a little bit. Yeah, I, I can see that, yeah. Yeah. And I and I, I agree with you. You get that blue sharp color of daylight at five thousand. It's it's it can be tiring on your eyes. It's a very sharp. It's a very sharp light. Yeah, that's funny. But when I'm building, I like that, and um, that's just me. Now I have I have softer lights in my house. That's not what I put in my house. It's not what I have in this room light. But on those lights I have on my desk, they're they're daylight balanced bulbs. You always want when you go to buy lights too. You always buy twice as much as you think you're going to need because yep, yep. You can all. I must. I've got Robin. You were at my shop. The 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 light. The, you know the lights on overhead. They were running at fifty percent. <laughs> <laughs> when I when I run them wide open, it will almost make you squint. But I there's nothing more frustrating than not being able to see what you're doing. Yep. 
I've got that problem in my garage. This is how I look at it when it comes to lighting up your work table and or your workshop or your work room or anything. Make sure that when when you are when you are laying this out, like whether you're putting lamps up or you're putting LED strips up or you're putting actual light fixtures, uh, walk around your table and squat down or or act like you're you're working on something or even just take a model there and just trying to like go around the model and walk around your table. Do you see any shadows? Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, get to yeah. the point where you don't see any shadows, and there you go. You've got your spot. Because that's that's what I hate yeah. the most is I'm working on something and I start moving up a little bit forward where the light's now behind me, and I got a shadow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a shop where your lights are over directly overhead, it's going to be very hard to not have shadows. I use yeah. a lot of flashlights and stuff too, but um, yeah, that's where your under cabinet lighting saves you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Because it's out in front. Yeah, I, th- I think in my case, the bigger problem is I'm working in a really large room and my lamps are in the corners of the room. I need... I, I have need, that problem in my garage. I don't have enough light in my garage. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking I need to get a, some lights uh, mounted to the ceiling overhead and somehow put them on a separate switch so that I can turn them off and on and brighten up the shop for... Yeah. When I need more light. You can do a lot you can do a lot with clamp on lights that you can move. Yeah. Like I was saying, I've I've got two of them on my bench and I would not not have them. Yeah, I uh, it's I, I remember those and what I kinda have one of those now, it's got a heavy base, but the they get in the mm-hmm. way of the helicopter. You're doing stuff and so oh, they, a, they do. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. An obstacle. You need some uh studio lights. Photography studio lights. My mom actually has that whole kit and for the longest time. I was using those. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, everyone else pitches about the lighting in my room, so. Which makes him want to do it more often. <laughs> Bitch away. A bitching mm-hmm. Marine is a happy Marine. If they're not bitching, <laughs> that means they're plotting to kill you. Oh, shit. And on that topic, let's move to expert. <laughs> um, so, expert tools. Expert now makes tools. I'm part of the team. I don't even find out about that. This is an expert with a T. A company can actually fully spell their name. (sighs) (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) First item. uh, First item and pretty much the only item in here is a lathe. I want one so badly. It was... Interesting pricing this out the other night and getting into the conversation with Ben on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple points. Uh, prices on Chinese lathes has gone up. Uh, it's comparable between the U.S. now. Um, tooling to use on the lathe uh, will quickly run up the cost. Yeah, oh yeah, accessories. Yep, the accessories. Well, it's not even the accessories. This stuff. It's not accessories. It's you the, you the know, I, I was finding, and I'll get to it in a second, but I'll get to it in a second. Um, the other item is for accuracy. If you're going to chuck a shaft or something into uh, the chuck of the lathe, you need a four jaw chuck uh, in order to get accuracy, mm-hmm. not a three jaw. Um, At a dial indicator, that is only because only, you're only centered in that four jaw chuck as good as your dial indicator is. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Um, the one thing I'll say is, uh, you know, we uh, Ben was showing me uh, was it Sherline? 
yeah. or shoreline, how you want to pronounce shoreline. it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they have a, they have a smaller lathe at $600. Uh, I couldn't clamp anything in it. I, I could run the, I could run the, the tool back and forth on the track, <laughs> but I couldn't do anything with it. I could turn it on and that was it. Uh, you want, you want, you know, the chuck costs money, all the attachments. They're not even really accessories. They're needed attachments to be able to do any work. Um, and you got to have good cutting tools and stuff. So exactly. Uh, the interesting thing about Sherline was that they have, um, oh, what's the proper word? They, they have combo kits. Uh, so that, that baseline $600, uh, lathe, you could get another three to $400 worth of stuff. And then, you know, within there, you have enough stuff to, you have enough accessories or, or tooling to cut, drill, um, you know, check things for accuracy, all, all the, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff we're looking to do. Um, I guess this is a great place where Ben could probably tell us more about how to, you know, accuracy checks you can make or, or run out checks you can make and then other, other fun uses for a lathe. I got mine probably, and I've just got a, a Chinese, a little silly, little Chinese on the, the one that Harbor Freight sells, but when I got mine, it was probably barely four hundred dollars, and because between inflation and tariffs and all that kind of stuff, like Rob said, it's now north of six hundred, which starts putting the Sherline stuff on the the table, which is much higher quality. But kind of like a drill press, I I can't imagine not having a lathe because yeah, you can you know you can put shafts in it and a good lathe chuck is good to a thousandth of an inch. So you know if you spin a if you spin the part in the lathe and, and dial indicate it, you know, it's not it's not the gold standard, which is a V block, but you can get pretty daggone close. When you're checking parts, uh dressing shafts, if you've got like a main shaft or a tail shaft or something that's just not quite the fit you want, or it's hanging up on a bearing a little bit, or it's got stuff on it from machining, you chuck it up in a lathe and buff it down. Every once in a while, I make parts. You know, I'll need a, I'll have a screw that I need to modify, do it in a lathe. You know, it's, it's, it's the thing. Everybody knows you. You know the kinds of parts that can be made in a lathe in a production situation. But it it can be like a, your right hand man when you just have something you need to tweak. I mean, it's like some little silly part that's just a you know a frag a few thousands too long that you want to use on a model. You chuck it up in a lathe and turn the end of it down in like thirty seconds, and you're going back to work. If you didn't have a lathe, you're trying to do it in a drill press or you're chucking it up in a drill and trying to hold a Dremel tool against the drill to do it. <clears throat> yeah, it's not a mandatory item whatsoever, but man, it sure can make life easier for you when you just, it, it's the right tool for a lot of jobs. Yeah, for years I've wanted one and I just have never bought one for the shop, but I Lots of times where I go, damn, I wish I had a freaking lathe. Yeah, that, and, you know, I. And I've said I, the same thing about a mill, too. Yeah, I'll tell you about the rich. It's like a two to one thing. I, I find myself re wanting a mill. I can, most of the time, it's like, eh, okay, I don't have it. I, I, it would be nice. It's the lathe. You get your lathe first, and then you get a mill. <laughs> mm hmm. 
Because sometimes you can get a lathe that has an add-on mill attachment, Sherline being one of those those companies. If you can rotate the head 90 degrees or something and turn it into a mill. Mm-hmm. I've got a buddy that's got one of those. It's a big machine. But, though. Yeah, it's it's a it's the one of the last things that you want for, that, that you buy for your shop after you bought a whole bunch of other stuff. But I yeah. I the switch on mine broke last week and Rob saw it. I'd hot wired it <laughs> until I get the replacement <laughs> switch. But when the, when it broke within eighteen hours, I needed it. Of course, I had that thing. You know, it, and when it happened, I said. I'm going to need this thing guaranteed within another day. I don't know for what, but I'm going to. And sure enough, I did. And so I, I had two jumper, two jumper wires bridging the thing so that I could use it. Have you ever used your drill press for um, checking main shafts and tip shafts? I don't shafts? think it's accurate enough. I don't think it is either. I've much, used it to. Yeah, I mean, it'll tell you if, if it's like, oh, holy crap, bent. But when you're trying to make judgments about, did it tweak it a thou or two? You know, because you, you know main shaft tolerance is ideally two thousandths of an inch or better, and the high end stuff is mm-hmm. less than a thousandth of an inch. If you're checking, you've got to have something tighter than a drill press. Yeah, because I know that if you've got, if you only have a, well, I don't know. I've definitely put tail shafts in there and sanded them before to smooth them out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just polish them and just set it in there and just, cause it's more accurate than trying to do it in a drill or do it by hand. Cause I got an accurate spot. Well, yeah, Rich, what you're going to find is that those are the kinds of things that you, we, we do stuff in drills that we should be doing in drill presses. And then we do stuff in drill presses that we should be doing in lathe. So when you get your lathe, <laughs> you're going to go. You would up. never do it in a drill press again. There you go. Yeah. I don't have to. I don't have to to dress up, te- you know, tail shafts or tail hubs in, in a, my drill press anymore. Now I just put it in the lathe and the drill. Right, press, right. That, that's how it yeah. works. Yeah. Now you're making me want to go look at catalogs. <laughs> Tools are fun. <laughs> yeah, if I just wouldn't have bought some Futaba tail servos, I mean, <laughs> you'd have been halfway there. <laughs> so one last item we have in here that Apollo added. Is um, and it's under he he listed under electronics item and he listed under basic is a digital multimeter. You know that was a really good thing to add. It is. No, it was. Yeah, yeah it was. I'm surprised he didn't have the giant disclaimer about there's a big difference between one you buy at Harbor Freight and a fluke. <laughs> yeah, there's also a big ass difference between a fluke and anything else you buy. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, again. I was lucky to be gifted a fluke um, from my father. Uh, it is well out of. It is, if if it was going to be accurate, I'd need to send it back a fluke to have them do the calibration on it. But his calibration certificate is older than my kids. Mm. Um. <laughs> well, you can get them recertified. Yep. But um, you know, a lot of times if you're trying to answer questions about accuracy on things, uh, I know I've used my multimeter to check the actual voltage of my uh, uh, per cell of my battery, as compared to the battery checkers we buy, which are like twenty bucks. Um, uh, total pack voltage. Uh, you're looking for just how much how much voltage is running on your on your uh, in your total system. 
No, you can also use it to catch something before you ruin something way more expensive. Oh, yes. yes. Like, am I really sure that's the positive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I use mine to double check my soldering all the time before I put power to stuff. Yep. Oh. Um, to check continuity is huge. Yeah, that, um, yeah, it's great for that. You know, I use it all the time to check my... I, on the Diablo, I just check the continuity between the tail and the, and the motor block. Um, yeah. I know back in the day, I actually used it when I was racing Mini-Zs and I was working... I was racing with uh, AAA batteries. I checked the internal resistance of AAA batteries with my Fluke multimeter. Mm-hmm. And I was you know, grouping up batteries that could, they could dump a lot of power really fast and compared to, you know, here's my, here's my worst batteries of the bunch, toss those to the side, buy more <laughs> mm-hmm. for rechargeable yeah. triple A's. Cause, um, yeah, the, the, it's, it's amazing how much you should get out of them. Uh, once you look around and poke around into it. Yeah. Um, Past that, I think it's worth mentioning as it's kind of neat, but I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. And that is um, Shaggy's writing it down. Random tool, a lazy Susan with skid clamps. Hmm. Uh, Just did that. Yeah. A couple days ago. Yep. Showed video of it. Um, it actually works really well. I, I put the model in there and I was, I was kind of finishing up the wiring with the uh, Cosmic. And th- now this would only work if you have a, uh, a t- if you ha- a table is like centered, and you have nothing on it, which is very rare these days. Everyone has crap on their table, including me. Uh, and it's in the middle where you can take the model, str- and, and I took skid clamps and kind of clamped it on there, and then you can just rotate the model, you know, three sixty degrees. So I'm I'm like I rotated it where it's fa- nose facing me, and then I rotated it again, just the face the side. And then I'm rotating where I kind of have the boom kind of next to me as I'm feeding it into where the fly barless unit is. It's just a, I just did this and it's like, this is actually one of the best things I've done. It is so, it, it, it just works. It's so cool. Hey, Shaggy, it's also a quick way to clear your table. Just bolt it down and exactly. go full, full right rudder and it'll that's, clear your table. See, that's how you, that's how you test out your rudder. Full right rudder and clean your table. <laughs> Um, see it now. That runs us. That runs me to the to the end of our notes on tools. Um, any Ben, you have anything else to add in this? No, I think we covered that pretty daggone good. Yeah. yeah it, here, then, here's another tool that I just found that's very useful: 3D printer to print your own shit. Oh, shut up, dude! You've printed half a part. <laughs> dude, I've been printing dude, stuff. Talk to us when you've actually made some shit. So. Um, Shut up! <laughs> one, I'm actually one, printing something right now. I got to check it real quick. One thing I will add: I know in the middle we were we, we talked about um, protecting some things. I find a lot of times with the Arbor Press um, packing tape. I'll put packing tape down on top of the Arbor Press so that I'm yeah, not good point. I do, I do the same yeah, thing. Not marking up the the nice aluminum uh, for blocks for blocks or a little a little cut, cut up little pieces of uh, like business card thickness stock or header stock. cards. Save head, I save header cards off of parts when I get them, keep them in the corner because mm-hmm. yeah. they're good for the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. 
I sanded the crap out of mine, took all the sharp edges off and ground it all down. And you, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned header cards, Ben. I know I've used business cards uh, to put between the outer swash and the inner swash when popping ball links so they don't mar up the swash. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's a great a, idea. Yeah. yeah, I did that. I did that yesterday. <laughs> Dude, that's a. Why didn't I ever think of that shit? Uh, ben told me, and I have a stock of business cards, and I pulled it out and put it between Dude. the two, and have it you, works. You know the have synergy. Have you ever seen what I did, did? Have you ever? Have you ever been around me when somebody nearly like pulled a pair of ball link pliers out and tried to pop a ball link off my model? I've never <laughs> seen anyone try and touch your model with ball link pliers, Ben. <laughs> I've never seen anybody Good try to touch one of his that. models. Just touch them. I I, I, li- I literally bought. I bought all of the the remaining stock in the United States of K&S plastic balling pliers so that I don't scratch <laughs> squash plates. Um, they're, car- they're, they're, car- they're carbon-filled plastic. And I literally, I bought a half a dozen pairs of them. So I I know I'm about to get interrupted on a phone call in a moment, but I, one thing I, I kind of wanted to, I want to, it's almost a rant, but I think Ben may help correct where I go with this a little bit. No, here we go. Uh, off topic of tools. Yep. Um, Multi rant hour. <laughs> no, uh, a lot of people keep talking about a nitro. One of the reasons to get nitro is so you get longer flight times. And so also you have a model that uh, will give you feedback when you're doing bad stick inputs. Um, as, as a guy, I, I've previously flown nitro models. I, I really love them. My priorities are to have electric models for competition. And that's the big reason I don't have any nitro models. Uh, but... There's nothing tell. There's nothing stopping you from building an electric model that will give you feedback and and force you to improve your collective skills. Um, you know, one of my thoughts is a lot of us, a lot of us, kind of follow what everyone else is putting in the helicopters. You know, forty five twenty five motors or forty five thirty or freaking fifty series motors in some of these helicopters, and 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 you're dumping you know a whole five thousand twelve s five thousand pack in two minutes, and you're like ah, oh, it's just it's, it just it just doesn't give me any flight time. Yeah, no kid doesn't give you flight time. Your setup is is set up like you know the Jamies, the Bens, the Kyles, the Burts, and there's nothing wrong with that setup. It's it's awesome. It is the top fuel funny car <laughs> of of helicopters. Um, smaller motors, less head speed. Uh, you know, slightly. You know, you don't have to go. You don't have to go with ultralight helicopters, but. Smaller motors and less head speed will get you longer flight times, and they'll get you um, they'll get you a helicopter that you can learn more on without having to go out and buy nitro. Yeah, I know you and I had this discussion about my Diablos. Yeah, whether I needed you know forty five twenty fives or thirty fives, or to drop down to a forty size you know can motor. Yeah. Um, Funny thing about this rant, it just so. Is conveniently placed after I put a forty-five thirty-five motor in my in my E seven. So thanks, Monty. Thank you. What size motor did you put in? Forty-five thirty-five. It'll be a beast. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be unboggable at fourteen hundred RPM hovering. <laughs> <laughs> Only reason why I put it in there is because I had it and it gives me the weight. It gives me the nose weight so I can put my batteries back 
forward or back in the in the model and probably can remove the lead weight out of the canopy. Yeah, that's right cuz it yeah, cuz that model tends to be tail heavy. Yeah. Anyway, all right, so we're going to close this thing out. Go for it. You guys, you guys have anything else? Mm-hmm. All right, check out the other great heli podcasts out there, Freefall RC podcast. The BKRC Podcast, The Heli Head Show, Skids Up RC Heli Podcast, and The Inverted Down Under RC Podcast. Now on Rerun, RC Heli Hooligans, The Full Pitch RC Podcast, The RC Heli Nation Version 2.0 Podcast. Um, please, guys, make a comment and leave us something on iTunes so we know what you guys want to hear and, and how we're doing. Um, comments on Podbeam will help also um, help others find the show. Uh, let them know that we're we're trying to uh, help you guys out a little bit, and um, we'd love to have comments back. So, absolutely um, for sure. Our, yeah, our upcoming events uh, that we're attending: April 29th through May third, we've got Heli Spring Fling. I think we'll all be there. Yeah. Yep. Well, Mike and, may not be because you know how he is, <laughs> <laughs> but he can't speak up for himself. Exactly. Right now, so. yeah, he, he had a headache. He needed <laughs> caffeine. Before we start naming the events that we plan to attend, uh, I just want to cut in here that there has been a few changes to some of these events prior to when we recorded this episode. So the event in Huntsville, Alabama has been postponed and the Heli Spring Fling has been canceled due to the COVID-19 virus that's been going on out there. So it's uh it's unfortunate, but the news has been broken to us uh, after this recording. So continue on to the rest of the events that we plan on attending. Hey, on May fifteenth through the seventeenth, we got Heli Domination, and then on June twenty sixth through the twenty eighth, the Mid Atlantic Heli Championships. Wow, I might I uh, might actually go, I might actually go to all of those. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to make heli domination. I'm going to try. Um, if you don't make I, heli domination, Shaggy, yeah. I'm going to sell you down the James year. River. I wasn't able to make it last year. You oh, haven't made it any year. You, you mean with Mike Sobey and this tubing? No, I'm just going to send you down the with James River. Oh, okay, without a tube? Okay. <laughs> no, I don't, bring one. I don't care. Bob Heaster is thinking about going to heli domination, so I'm trying to convince him to go. So most likely I have to go. Because if I don't, then he's going to give me crap. As he should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As he should. Yes. All right, guys. Um, Monty, why don't you take this Nats part? Yeah, so um, uh, Urchie Jamboree is back to early August. So Nats will officially start on Sunday the 2nd and run until it's officially sanctioned until Wednesday the 5th, which is Wednesday the 5th is the date that the Urchie Jamboree begins. Um. And, of course, it runs through, what, Saturday the 8th, I think it is. Uh, one, some news that has come out of uh, AMA, uh, they say that for first-time Nats competitors, they are going to waive the $50 uh, AMA registration fee for nationals for first-time competitors. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's nice. Well, that's cool. Now, let me ask you. So, I competed like 25 years ago. I know <laughs> that that was paper records. You think they'll know? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Hey, I still have the sticker on my. You know what I found the other day? Oh, shit, I gotta send you guys a picture of this. I've got my uh, name tag. Really? From the '93 Nats. Yeah. Is that how you've been remembering your name since 1993? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, ouch. Where was it, Rich? 
Um, it was buried in a box of no, no, no. Where, where was this. the where was the venue? Uh, it was either um, Mass uh, maybe it was Massachusetts, I think. Maybe, yeah, yeah. I think it was Massachusetts. Um, there was an Air Force base in Massachusetts that they had. No, yeah, I remember. No, I remember. That's why I asked. It was either there or it was somewhere in the Midwest. I think the next year, I went to them. I went one one that was in the Midwest somewhere right after some flooding. We had to drive through a whole bunch of flooding. Hmm. And then to get there, then the, I think this the 93 ones were in, were in Massachusetts. I want to see that picture. I want to see the picture of that thing. That's cool. That's awesome, Rich. I'll send you a picture of it. Yeah. Yeah, the um, place in Massachusetts began with, it was like a C.H. Jacoby. I can't, I can't remember, but I know exactly where you're talking about. Yeah, it was, it was kind of cool because that's when they did Nats all together at one time. So you could walk around and see the different stuff going on. I know they were doing the indoor stuff at one of the hangars. Oh, they, they did. had uh, like all of them. Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> that would be cool. Um, yeah, uh, for those who for for first time first time Nats uh, competitors, uh, yeah, there's two fees. There's there is the um, AMA fee, and then there's the SIG fee, which in our case is Urcha. Um, and uh, that is per class. So, yeah, still waiting to hear some news on what the fee is going to be. Uh, if, if they're going to do some sort of package deal to do Nats and Urcha or First Time or something. So, as soon as we find out the news, I'll definitely pass it. Uh, another thing happening at Urcha would be the Urcha Speed Cup. It is official that I will be running it this year. Uh, I've been talking to the Archer board uh, about, you know, hosting it and running it. Uh, so I'm uh, look forward to if you guys are interested and wanting to try it. Uh, I do plan on having some maybe some special things going on in there. Uh, maybe even like a little beginner sportsman class for people that just want to, you know, run with your brung and uh, just, you know, get a, get a get a speed, you know, just see how fast your model can go. So, yep, just working out, working that out and uh yeah, if you want more information, just let me know. And if you have any suggestions, just let me know as well. Always open to that. Next. Cool. Yeah, so looking forward to this year's Jamboree. Uh, next item here is uh, check the link on the on the show here uh, to get the uh, to get our show links, and you can also see our 2020 heli calendar uh, for events we are attending. Um. Uh, remember we, uh, we have a, uh, we have a server here. Uh, the link is in the rest of the show notes links for, uh, we have a discord server. If you want to come chat with us, ask us a question, or, uh, maybe you want to do show suggestions. Uh, thank you to those who actually have reached out to give us some show suggestions. It's, uh, it's been a fun conversation, uh, still definitely looking for more, um, as uh, some things, not, not not every topic will become a show, but they are interesting uh, conversations nonetheless. Um, also, oh, I got to make a check. Did we get any more comments on iTunes? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> got to do it again. Okay. Nope. Now that one was... Nope, no, nothing new. Just, uh, just the last one from the uh, from the uh, awesome person who sold Shaggy his uh, Cosmic One Sixty. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, dude, definitely leave us a uh, definitely leave us a review on uh, uh, Apple iTunes. Um, help others find the show. Uh, you can also, yeah, you can friend us on Podbean or you know find us on Facebook. 
Uh, with that, I am gonna say thank you to all listeners. Hit me up in the field. Uh, weather's getting warmer. Looking forward to seeing y'all. Cool. All right, guys. See you later. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate you. Thank you, Ben. Uh, my pleasure. Always enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Talk to you guys later. Let me smash. Take it easy. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode as we enjoyed taking the time to make them. If you have any questions regarding the show, such as future topics, events, or anything else, you can send us an email at telerotor at gmail.com or on Facebook, search Telerotor. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the field. Welcome to the bloopers for this episode. We recommend you listen to them in private as the audio is loud and the subject matter a bit sophomoric. Enjoy. It's good. I mean, I'm, I'm really getting detailed, but it, you know, it's just going too long. So I'm probably just going to cut it. Is anybody here Shaggy breaking up? Yes, he's he does. Breaking up. He is breaking up. It's like it gets rubbery. Like, like thank you, Dr. Greetings, Professor Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like war games. <laughs> Would you like to play a game? <laughs> Why do you got to be so creepy, Ben? <laughs> you already got like. the creepy looks. Now you got the creepy voice. Oh, damn. That's what you sound like. I've, I've never heard that side of Ben before. I haven't either. Oh, he's getting more comfortable. That's the thing. Uh, that's funny. Yep, soon enough, you'll be in his tool shed wrapped up in a bag. Uh, whoa, <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. I hope, I hope not zipped all the way up. That's. Depends on how good of a captive purse audience you are as to how much you breathe. Um. Yeah, I've got a floor model. I don't remember what the size is, but it's a oh, it's floor, a floor, floor model. It's a big floor one. model. It's big. Yeah, it's a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, it's a big one. Let me let me run this through real quick. Um, you're looking for something nine inches or larger. That's what she said. I was like, this is a good tail servo that's on here. I can lower the gain. It'll stay still. <laughs> You know? <laughs> what the hell? Oh, look at the top of his head. <laughs> look at his lips. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What was that? <laughs> Soundboard. Uh all right, you guys, check out the other great heli podcasts out there. You got Free Fall RC Podcast, the BKRC Podcast, the Helihead Show, Skids Up RC Podcast, and the Inverted Down Under RC Heli Podcast. No, 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 no. You got to do it like you got to do it with some some pizzazz to it, you know? That was No, I'm talking about the Inverted Down Under. You got to really get down under with that. Oh, man. All right. Now, I don't do it. I don't. That's not. I was just. No. You, no. 
yeah, yeah. I, um, I was trying to like get onto that one thing, but you kind of, I wasn't trying to like quote on, on, never mind, whatever. Oh, well, now you jacked me off. I did. I'm sorry. I screwed that right. Are you repeating the whole thing or are hey. you just going to? Yeah, let me just repeat right. the whole thing. Say um, close All out right. first. All right, guys, we're on our close. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. I All right, close out on. right now. Oh. All right, close out. Fudge. I can't hey. hear a Dagburn thing. All right, all right. Check out. What are you? <laughs> what are you doing, Shaggy? I'm Am breaking I doing things. This Am I doing this or not? I'm breaking things. Well, can I read this or? Uh, yeah, I I screwed up everything. I'm screwing this whole thing up today. All right, be quiet for like a minute. I'm muting. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> 